0: Text for this morning's sermon is Numbers one verse forty-seven to two verse thirty-four. But the Levites were not listed with them by their ancestral tribe. For the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not list, and you shall not take a census of them among the people of Israel. But appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, and over all its furnishings, and over all that belongs to it. They are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings, and they shall take care of it, and shall camp around the tabernacle. When the tabernacle is to set out, the Levites shall take it down, and when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. And if... Any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. The people of Israel shall pitch their tents by their companies, each man in his own camp, and each man by his own standard. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, so that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the people of Israel. And the Levites shall keep guard over the tabernacle of the testimony. Thus did the people of Israel, they did according to all, that the Lord commanded Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, The people of Israel shall camp each by his own standard with the banners of their fathers' houses. They shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. Those to camp on the east side toward the sunrise shall be of the standard of the camp of Judah by their companies. The chief of the people of Judah being Nashon, the son of Amminadab, his company as listed being 74,600. Those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Issachar, the chief of the people of Issachar being Nathanel the son of Zuar, His company as listed being 54,400. Then the tribe of Benjamin, the chief of the people of Zebulun, being Eliab, the son of Helon, His company as listed being 57,400. All those listed of the camp of Judah by their companies were one hundred and eighty-six thousand four hundred. They shall set out first on the march. On the south side shall be the standard of the camp of Reuben by their companies. The chief of the people of Reuben being Elizur the son of Sheer, his company is, as listed being forty-six thousand five hundred. And those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Simeon. The chief of the people of Simeon being Lumiel the son of Zerishadai, his company as listed being 59,300. Then the tribe of Gad, the the chief of the people of Gad being Eliasaph, the son of Ruol. His company as listed being 45,650. All those listed of the camp of Reuben by their companies were 151,450. They shall set out second. Then the tent of meeting shall set out with the camp of the Levites. In the midst of the camps, as they camp, so shall they set out, each in position, standard by standard. On the west side shall be the standard of the camp of Ephraim by their companies, the chief of the people of Ephraim being Elishama the son of Aminahad. His company is listed being 40,500. And next to him shall be the tribe of Manasseh, the chief of the people of Manasseh being Gamaliel, the son of Pedazur. His company is listed being 32,200. Then the tribe of Benjamin, the chief of the people of Benjamin, being Abidan the son of Gideoni. His company is listed being 35,400. All those listed of the camp of Ephraim by their companies were 108,100. They shall set out third on the march. On the north side shall be the standard of the camp of Dan by their companies, the chief of the people of Dan being Ahizer, the son of Amishadai. His company, as listed, being 62,700. And those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Asher, the chief of the people of Asher being Pagiel the son of Ochran His company, as listed, being 41,500. Then the tribe of Naphtali, the chief of the people of Naphtali being Ahira, the son of Enan. His company as listed being 53,400. All those listed in the camp of Dan were 157,600. They shall set out last, standard by standard. These are the people of Israel as listed by their fathers' houses. All those listed in the camps by their companies were 603,550. But the Levites were not listed among the people of Israel as the Lord commanded Moses. Thus did the people of Israel... According to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so they camped by their standards, and so they set out, each one in his clan, according to his father's house. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in different areas of life, we arrange things in peculiar ways. At times we do this because it makes something visually appealing. You can just shove a bunch of flowers in a vase, but they look much more appealing if someone properly arranges them. When you buy furniture, the delivery guys can bring it into the room where you want it, but it takes someone with an eye and a bit of flair to arrange it so that it enhances your home. Musicians arrange music to make it easier to sing or better to listen to. At times, we can have more serious reasons for how we arrange things. During COVID 19 times, our government mandates how we are to arrange the seating in our churches and schools in order to maintain social distancing as much as possible. In a separation or divorce, parents often need to make custody arrangements. What you arrange is really important, for it affects the well being of your children. Often, we arrange things according to a particular sequence or pattern. On a class list, students' names might be arranged in alphabetical order. A restaurant will often serve food on a first-come, first-serve basis. At times, our ordering of things has significance. Just think of a wedding where the bride and groom have the best man and maid of honor seated next to them where the wedding party joins them at the head table. Our text this morning tells us about the arrangement of the Israelite camp and the order in which God's people marched out when they broke up camp. On the surface, you might think, big deal. What does it matter how the camp was laid out or in what order the tribes marched? Yet the arrangement of the camp and the ordering of the tribes tells us much about God's dealings with his covenant people. There's a definite spiritual message in our text from which we can learn much. Preach you the word of God under the following theme. The Lord shows forth his mercy and grace in the arrangement of the Israelite camp. We'll consider the Lord's presence in the midst of the camp and the Lord's and the tribe's arrangement around the tabernacle. When we read through our text, it gives a lot of detail about the arrangement of the tribes of Israel in a camp at Mount Sinai. The Lord instructed Moses and Aaron, saying, The people of Israel shall camp each by his own standard with the banners of their fathers' houses. Most of Numbers 2 is a listing of the tribes, their numbers, and where they camped. In the midst of this, it's easy to overlook a line at the end of verse 2. There the Lord commanded, they shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. The point is that in the arrangement and ordering of the tribes of Israel, God stands in the center. The presence of God among his people is not something to take for granted. Please remember how God blessed Adam. Please remember how blessed Adam and Eve were to enjoy fellowship with God in paradise. They walked and talked with him in the cool of the garden. But consider what happened when they fell into sin. They were banished from the garden, thrust away from the presence of the Lord. Genesis 3.24 says that the Lord God drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way, To guard the way to the tree of life. This morning we read a few verses from Exodus 33. The chapter describes the Lord's response to Israel's sin of worshipping the golden calf. Having broken covenant with God, the Lord threatened not to go with his people on their journey to Canaan. Do you know why the Lord said this? The Lord said he would not go with his people because they were a stiff-necked people and he might destroy them on the way. Instead, he planned to send an angel before them to drive out the Canaanite nations from before them so they could enter into the promised land. It's only because Moses interceded with the Lord and made it clear that Israel was nothing without his presence among them, that the Lord relented, that he agreed to travel with his people to the promised land. Last week, we saw how all the tribes of Israel were numbered. We noted that God's people are important to him, how he knows them each by name. It is critically important to be counted among the people of God. Boundary lines are important. The church is a community of true Christian believers. You're either inside, Or you're outside of the church. And God's blessings are bestowed on those who are his people. He ministers to us with his word and with the sacraments. That's how he builds us up in our faith. How he encourages us in our walk with him. To partake in God's blessings. You need to be part of his people. Today our text makes a different point. Its focus is on what stands at the center of our faith. It's on God, on his presence among his people. According According to the command of the Lord, Moses and the people of Israel had constructed the tabernacle. Exodus 40 tells us about how the cloud covered the tent of meeting, how the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Inside the tabernacle was the most holy place. And inside the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant. Above the Ark was the mercy seat, where God dwelt below the cherubim. The living God of heaven and earth made his dwelling place among men. He came to live among his people. We can put a lot of emphasis on who is in and who is out of the church. We rejoice whenever there is a baptism of one of our children, for by baptism our children are grafted into the Christian church and they are distinguished from the children of unbelievers. We celebrate when some of our young people or when someone from outside the church makes a public profession of faith. For by doing so, they're making a commitment to love and serve the Lord. We're saddened when someone withdraws or when they're excommunicated. For this results in them being outside of the church, where they'll no longer share the blessings of salvation. While church membership is really important, we should not confuse crossing the line into the community of faith with crossing the finish line of the faith. Being a church member will not benefit you if your heart is not centered on God. When Jesus sent out the apostles, he didn't tell them to go out and seek professions of faith. He told them to go and make disciples of all nations. A disciple is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what marks a disciple? a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Belgian Confession summarizes the marks of a Christian. They believe in Jesus Christ as the only Savior, flee from sin and pursue righteousness, love the true God and their neighbor without turning to the right or to the left, and crucify the flesh and its works. As Christians, we need to be constantly growing in our knowledge of the truth, our love for God and the saints, our obedience to God's word, and our desire for our heavenly home. Being in the church is not enough, you need to be a living member of it. God needs to stand at the center of our lives. That's why worship is so important. Worship reorients our souls to the center of the camp. It's a reminder that God is at the heart of everything we are and do. He is the one by whom and for whom we exist. God, our Creator, our Redeemer, and our Sustainer. The Lord is our rock and our refuge, our Shepherd and Defender. Every day, we need to read our Bibles to refresh our vision of who God is. Every week, we need to gather together in worship to give glory to God for his wondrous works, to be strengthened and encouraged in our faith by his word and spirit. There are times when people seek to be in relationship with God because of the blessings that that offers. It offers joy and peace, contentment and hope. God has promised his people life instead of death, heaven instead of hell. But Beloved, remember our reading from Exodus 33. Moses didn't just want the promised land. He pleaded for God's presence among his people. He wanted God to go with his people. For life apart from God was not worth living. Renew knew that life is founded not on the goodies that God provides, but on being able to live in His presence. Is God at the center of your life, beloved? There's a number of ways in which you can measure this. Do you like coming to church, gathering and worship as much as you can? And if so, why? Do you like coming to church? Is it because it gives you a chance to meet with your friends? Is it so that you can be intellectually stimulated? Or do you come to church to meet with God? Our liturgy is designed as a meeting between the Lord and his people. In various parts of our service, God speaks to us, and in other parts, we respond to Him. But the goal is to glorify God and to enjoy fellowship with Him. Is that how you experience your worship of the Lord? How do you live your daily lives, beloved? Is God also the center of your life from Monday to Saturday? Do you think about the Lord from day to day? Do you see God's hand at work in your life, leading you forward? Do you seek to glorify God in your daily tasks? Do you read the Bible and pray to God regularly to help you in this? Beloved, when you examine your life, are you living for yourself? Or are you living for God? Is your focus on me, myself, and I? Or is it on living a God-pleasing life? Is there evidence in your life that you devote your time, your talents, and your treasure to the Lord? In his great mercy and grace, the Lord was willing to live among his people. That's an amazing thing. Remember that God is holy and majestic. Israel was but a weak and sinful people. Despite the Lord's wondrous works of bringing the ten plagues on Egypt, delivering his people through the Red Sea, Israel had shown its sinfulness by forsaking the Lord and worshipping the golden calf. The Lord knew they were a stiff-necked people, stubborn and inclined to sin. And yet he was willing to come. And dwell among them. It shows the depth of God's love for his people. It shows his desire to truly be their God. and To live in covenant fellowship with them. And that's even more true for us as believers living in the new covenant. God sent his dearly loved son into this world. To live among his people in human flesh. Emmanuel. God with us. Christ came to redeem us from our sins, to reconcile us to the Father. Today, the Lord no longer lives among us in a tabernacle or in a temple made with human hands. We're far richer. Christ has poured out his Spirit on his church. We are now temples of the Holy Spirit. God has come to live in our hearts. Both individually and communally, we are privileged to be able to enjoy sweet communion with the Lord. He is always with us. Brings us to our second point. Having considered God's presence in the midst of the camp, we'll now consider the tribe's arrangement around the tabernacle. Some of you will be familiar with the legend of King Arthur. Do you remember the shape of the table around which King Arthur's knights deliberated? It was a round table. Do you know why? It was so that there would be no debate about who was most important. At a round table, no one sits at the head. There is no one who sits at the leader's right hand. King Arthur's round table was designed for equality. This is different with how the Lord arranged the tribes of Israel as they camped in the desert. The Lord arranged them in a specific order. The tabernacle was situated in the midst of the Israelite camp. Around it, twelve tribes were camped. Three to the east, three to the south, three to the west, and three to the north. It's in this order that the tribes also marched out whenever they moved camp. The manner in which the Lord arranged the tribes reveals a ranking. In Israel, as in many ancient cultures, there was not this spirit of equality that permeates Western culture. There were special privileges attached to being the firstborn son. It was a great privilege to be seated at the king's right hand. How the Lord arranged the tribes has spiritual significance. The arrangement speaks both of God's curses and his blessings. The place of honor in the Hebrew camp was to the east of the tabernacle. The tabernacle itself faced east. East is the main direction for orientation. East is where the sun rises. When you're placed in the east, you're number one. Second place is the south. South is at your right hand when you're facing the east. The right hand, the place of honor. Third place is to the west, and fourth is on the north. In Numbers 1, 5 to 15, we get a first listing of the tribes of Israel when the leaders of the tribes who will assist Moses are named. Here the tribes were listed in their order of natural precedence. Starts with the firstborn, Reuben. And it continues with a listing of all the children of Leah. Though Levi was not included because the Levites were not numbered. This includes Reuben, Simeon, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. Then we have, a, then we have the children of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. Joseph has a double share, Ephraim and Manasseh, to keep the number of tribes at 12 without Levi being counted. Only after this do we get the names of the children born to the maidservants of Rachel and Leah, Dan, Asher, Gad, and Naphtali. Yet in the arrangement of the tribes in the camp, we see that they are not listed in the order of their natural precedence. Numbers 2 has a story to tell in the placement of the 12 tribes. First of all, it tells a story of God's judgment on human sinfulness. Though Reuben was born first, he lost his privileged place as firstborn through sexual sin. He slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah. Thus, when Jacob blesses his sons at the end of his life, his words for Reuben were a mixed blessing. Genesis 49 tells us that although Reuben was Jacob's firstborn, preeminent in dignity and power, he lost his prominent place because of his sin. The next two sons in Jacob's family were Simeon and Levi. Normally, they would have been next in line. Yet they also lost their position through sin. When their sister Dinah was raped by Shechem, a Canaanite prince, they tricked him and his tribe into thinking that they could incorporate Jacob's family into their tribe by being circumcised. And once they gained their trust, they slaughtered them all. Jacob's blessing on these sons was also more of a curse than a blessing. He condemns them for their fierce anger and cruel wrath. He says... He will scatter them in Israel. The result of all this was that Judah received the most honored place. Before his death, Jacob gave the greatest of all the blessings to his son Judah. He assigned him a place of leadership, ultimately of kingship. In Genesis 49, part of Jacob's blessing on Judah is the scepter shall not depart from judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet it's a messianic prophecy but how the christ would ultimately descend from judah's line god's promised abraham that all nations would be blessed through him would be fulfilled through the line of kings that descended from judah the ordering of the tribes in our text reflects the words of Jacob in Genesis 49. Reuben and Simeon lose their position of natural precedence and are placed on the south side, along with one of the sons of the handmaidens. Meanwhile, Judah and the other sons of Leah are in the favored position on the east, across from the three tribes descended from Rachel, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. There's a lesson in this for us, beloved. It is that sin has consequences. It always does. And often not only for ourselves, but also for our children. And sometimes for generations to come. Think of the life of King David, whom the Bible tells us was a man after God's own heart. Committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered her husband Uriah. The Bible makes it very clear that David truly repented of his sin, that he was forgiven for it. Yet note how David's sins follow into the next generations. His son Amnon raped his half sister Tamar. David's son Absalom killed Amnon for this. Absalom also tried to kill his own father. And he fornicated with his father's concubines. There is a reminder here about the nature of sin. We tend to think that sin is just a private matter between us and God. Or between us and God and the particular person that we sinned against. But often it has consequences for the coming generations. If you get mad when things don't go your way, and you use anger as a means of dealing with conflict, you set a pattern in family life that your children may learn from you. If you are disrespectful and suspicious of the authorities God has set over you, you may inadvertently teach your children to to disrespect those in authority over them. If you're a slack in your church attendance, you teach your children that the worship of God is not really all that important. Abuse is known to be an intergenerational problem. The incidence of divorce is far higher among those whose parents were divorced. Please understand, beloved, there's a huge difference between the forgiveness of sin And the consequences of sin. Israel was camped around the tabernacle. It was the place where sacrifices were brought and where sin was atoned for. Even when there are consequences of sin, God's grace still abounds. Please note that despite their sins, there's still a place for the tribes of Reuben and Simeon in the camp. Although they've lost their preeminent position, they were not banished from the camp. They're still part of the people of God. They still belong. Grace is such a wonderful thing. Grace is receiving what we have not deserved. But that's not all. Grace also has the power to transform our lives. Our text also gives us some clear examples of that. We noted earlier Jacob's blessing on Judah and how he received the preeminent place among all his brothers. Judah's life was not without sin. Genesis 37 tells us about how Judah plotted with his brothers to put their favorite son, Joseph, to death. Genesis 38 tells us of how he mistook his daughter-in-law for a Canaanite prostitute and had sex with her. When it was was discovered that Tamar was expecting a child out of wedlock, he called for her to be put to death. When Tamar was able to produce Judah's signet, ring, and staff, which he had left as a pledge, he declared, she is more righteous than I. Judah was deeply humbled by his sins. He learned lessons from them. God's grace towards him transformed his life. We see that in what happened when the brothers went to Egypt to get food during the famine. Joseph had required them to bring Benjamin to Egypt. And then he had him arrested to test his brothers. Judah volunteered to take the punishment in his younger brother's place. He knew losing Benjamin would cause his father great sorrow. He was personally willing to bear any punishment to save Jacob this pain. From the life of Judah, we see that while sin can have consequences, grace can take and transform the result of our sin. We can derive so much comfort and hope from this, beloved. Grace can. Grace often does triumph over sin. One further example of this in our text. We noted earlier how the tribes of Simeon and Levi lost their privileged position in Israel because of their fierce anger and the violent way in which they killed the men of Shechem. Jacob's so-called blessing on Simeon and Levi was that they would be scattered throughout Israel. Yet when the Israelites went astray and worshipped the golden calf, men from the tribe of Levi were zealous for the Lord. The Levites joined with Moses in bringing judgment on those who were rebelling against the Lord. It was a transformational moment for this tribe. Because they were willing to take a stand against false worship, Moses told them, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord. Jacob's curse on their sin that they would be scattered among the tribes of Israel now becomes a blessing. For in generations to come, the Levites served as ministers of God's grace in Israel. They taught the people the Lord's ways. They ministered in turn at the tabernacle, allowing God's people to be reconciled to him. They were dispersed in Israel for the spiritual blessing of the nation. It's because of their special role in Israel that the Levites were not numbered in the census of the fighting men. They've been set apart for a special task. We also see this in the arrangement of the tribes around the tabernacle. The twelve tribes, including the two sons of Joseph, are given places to the east and the south and the west and the north of the tabernacle. But the Levites were not mentioned in this list. you know where the Levites camped? Directly around the tabernacle. This tribe who had been zealous for the proper worship of the Lord, were entrusted with ensuring that the Israelites showed forth a proper respect for God's presence among them. They acted as a human safety barrier around the tabernacle to prevent Israel from provoking God to anger and destroying them on the way to the promised land. And so we see, beloved, how the Lord shows forth his mercy and grace in the arrangement of the Israelite camp. God was pleased to dwell among his people. Our holy, majestic, glorious God lived in the midst of this sinful people. Think of how the tabernacle is often referred to. It's called the tent of meeting. That's where Israel met with God. Where they worshipped, God's presence was a sign of his love, his mercy, and grace. God would provide for them as they traveled through the wilderness. He would protect them from their enemies. He was leading them to their home, the promised land. In Christ, we enjoy these same blessings in an even richer way. Christ came to redeem us from our sins, to make us into a new creation. He has sent his Spirit, and so we have the presence of God among us as church, and in us as people of God. By Spirit and Word, God shows his mercy and grace. He leads us forward through all the ups and downs of life. While it's true that our sins often have consequences, God's grace triumphs over all. In Christ we have the forgiveness of our sins. By grace our lives are transformed so that more and more we bring forth fruits of thankfulness. God is leading us to our eternal home. Beloved, Make the Lord the center of your life, that you too may share in all God's blessings. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing together from Psalm 27, stanzas 2 and 4.